Hey, Dr. Mike here. So do you want to live forever-ish? Well, if you do, you got to know what's in and what's not. Stay tuned to find out. You're listening to Live Forever-ish, a show dedicated to helping you live just a little longer. Here's your host, Dr. Mike and Dr. Crystal Gosser. All right. Welcome to Live Forever-ish. This is one of my favorite shows where we break down the latest and greatest in living a long, healthy, vibrant, strong life. Yes. Being able to shop for your own groceries. Shop for your own groceries. (laughs) We were just talking about how more and more we're not doing that. (laughs) Right. But sometimes you want to and you need to and you need to be able to to get around. You want to at least have, you know, if if you decide you want to go shopping or if you decide you want to go for a walk in the park or play around a golf, whatever you like to do, whether you're in your 70s, 80s, 90s, you should be able to do it. That's right. That's living forever-ish. Right. Strong, clear mind. There you go. Strong bones. Yes. That's great. (laughs) So there's things that science has shown that if, if you want to live foreverish, you should do mm-hmm. and we have three of them yes and then there and then of course there's some things that you don't want to do or be diagnosed with or you definitely want to prevent right right so let's start with the three ends of living foreverish and the first one is interesting it's a trio mm-hmm. and i like it because we've talked about all three of these protein coffee or tea so tell us a little bit where, like, where is this, why is this trio here in front of me? Right. Well, it's according to research reported in Clinical Nutrition on in November 2022. They, the researchers found a reduction in the risk of hip fracture among women with greater intake of those three items, protein, coffee, or tea. Right. Uh, and mm. so you find these types of association studies, again, yeah, yeah. doesn't mean that there's yeah. a cause effect yeah. type of relationship. But often you have these huge populations of people where they're, they're taking surveys, yeah. we have data, and then we start analyzing yeah, tease, tease things out tease like, what's it out here? and again it's not conclusive but it's interesting and sometimes it does lead to more formal you know clinical trials. right that's the goal mm-hmm. if, if you see okay in in this particular case we found a, a huge group of women over twenty six thousand uh participants in the women's cohort study uh a prospective study who that enrolled women aged 35 to 69 years between 1995 and 1998. So So we've got this group. Big follow-up then, right? Yeah. Dietary questionnaires. Right. Yep. And then now the researchers examine their diet and say, hey, what are these individuals consuming? And in this case, they're looking at which women... Uh, experience the hip fracture. Yeah, and and so just to step back for a sec, this is an important topic. Um, if you want to live forever-ish, I mean, hip fractures could be a, a, a no. Like oh, it, for it, sure. It could be that 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 don't get this. Um, there's there you know the older you get, especially in women, I think what is it over seventy with osteoporosis, if they fracture a hip, there's a high mortality associated yes. with that. Well, and they often lead mm-hmm. to other chronic illnesses, uh, loss of independence. And sometimes, more times than not, yeah. that's that's the end. It is. You hear, it's sad. you know, someone fell, fractured, now there's in the hospital. Chain, chain of events now. Boom. Yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. So this this is important to talk about, and in this case, it's nice to see 
um, just natural things that we do every day, protein, coffee, tea, that could actually have uh, some some effect here, right? Some benefit. Right. So uh, there was a, a median follow-up of about 22 years. Uh, during that time, over 800 fractures occurred. And they found a 14% reduction in the risk of hip fracture uh, in association with a 25 gram per day increase in protein from any source. Right, so that could be plant, animal, and maybe even supplementation. Right, and that makes sense, Dr. Mike. We talk about the role in protein and just oh, keeping, yeah, sure. keeping you the muscles strong. We talk about that a lot. Right, okay. It's actually really important, right? Right, and the fact that many people, is women and men, aren't getting enough protein. They're yeah, not reaching those sure. protein requirements. We know as you get older, you need a bit more than the RDA. Yeah. Uh, so what they're finding <laughs> is those women who kind of, you know, yeah. I don't know if they're taking protein shakes. It was any source. So yeah. we don't know what they're I, eating. Yeah, I, but I, I bet it was a mix of things most likely for most people nowadays. I think, I think protein um, shakes and stuff are pretty popular now. Now, now they followed them, so they, for 20-some-odd years, maybe at the beginning of this, maybe it was less protein shakes and stuff, but probably towards the end, I bet that was a higher source of some of the, some of the protein. Um, and, it, and it goes back to the idea, too, you know, one of the best ways to prevent osteoporosis um, in, in these fractures is you strengthen the muscles around the joint. And mm -hmm. that's why weight-bearing exercises can be so important. Those muscles get stronger. And also the weight-bearing does stimulate, I think, some of those cells that help to produce bone as well. Yes, and, you know, it's really important for um, underweight women. I always think about my, my little aunts that are just, they're so tiny know, and and kind of frail looking yeah. you wonder, oh. You got to get those, you got to get that muscle up, get those bones stronger. As a matter of fact, yes. it says here, every... Additional cup of coffee or tea consumed was associated with a 4% lower hip fracture rate. Now, and to me, I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Have your coffee in the morning, maybe a cup or two. Most people have a couple of cups. They yeah. don't even know I, it because I, the mugs know, are so large. I can tell when you have a couple of cups. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> You're at a different level. And, uh, and then have your tea in the afternoon. Sure. And yeah. that tea can be decaffeinated caffeinated because yeah, um, it's not it's not the caffeine it's the polyphenols right in the exactly. coffee and the tea right right so we do know that coffee and tea high polyphenols you've said this before dr mike uh oh coffee is one of the number one sources of antioxidants oh yeah, yeah. you what yeah. now what it's, what it's is a that? Very, no, most americans get their antioxidants from coffee yeah it's people don't think about it yeah. you know all of the the polyphenols it's, it's a plant right Coffee right. beans. It, co <laughs> it comes from nature. So, yeah, th th there are good antioxidants in there. Yes, so coffee drinking over and over and over has been shown to be beneficial. Heart, brain, even anti-cancer in some cases. Yeah. So what we're seeing here, the researchers believe, of course, is that the polyphenols may enhance the activity of the bone building cells. Yeah, I can see that. Blast, it makes sense. Yeah. And kind of suppress the activity of those cells that break down bones. Yeah. I think, it, you know, the bone breakdown process involves some oxidative stress. Yeah. So you're, you're countering that, mm -hmm. allowing the bone, bone building guys who have been, who've been suppressed a little bit are now able to rise up and start making some bone. Yeah. So they're thinking better bone mineral density, decreasing fracture risk. There you go. Thumbs up. Protein, coffee, tea. <laughs>
in all combinations. Right. That's right. That's kind of what it says. All right, let's move on to number two. This is um, So this is what's in, if you want to live forever, is number two, potassium, especially in women. Yeah. I, I don't know if we planned but, this to focus in on women. Well, but, but I, this- I remember we talked. I'm not convinced this is just women. That was that one, it's just one study we're looking it at. It is one study, but we do know that women are more sodium sensitive, meaning that they may have larger changes in blood pressure in response to sodium, which is why the researchers kind of wanted to see, yep. you know, will the, will the potassium have a greater effect see, in offsetting that sodium and blood pressure response? It, it, to me, the answer simple is yes, it does. Um, but I, I was always taught from an epidemiological standpoint as a clinician that overall African-Americans in general, male or female, are most sensitive to salt. Yes. They, they, the, the researchers brought that up in the study. It was a part of their discussion. And they did find that African-Americans responded more, that, that their response to the potassium was greater as See, well. That, 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 that was, that's what I was taught and understood. But if we're talking about women here, I, I guess the highest tier risk would be African-American women. There you have it. Right. Okay. So let's talk about this. So this was um, looking at, you know, giving potassium. How is it really offsetting um, sodium and what is the ultimate effect of that? And it has to do with blood pressure, right? Yes. And it was another population um, study where they just kind of looked at the the response. Participants were about 11,000 men, 13,000 women who were enrolled in uh, in a big study in England. Epic Norfolk study. Yes. And so they looked at sodium and potassium intake in the urine, which in the excretion of those minerals in the urine, which would be an indicator of the the intake. Right. So it was kind of an indirect measurement. Which is actually an easier way to measure than doing blood all the time and stuff like that. Well, yeah. I think it's better than the food frequency questionnaire. At least they're measuring something, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, they're not just relying on the the honesty of the person that they're questioning. Right, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Mike. So I, I thought it, it was a kind of a smarter response because well, you do have an, an objective measurement. It, it When you add an objective measurement to some of these epidemiological studies, it does add a new layer or a, another layer of confidence. You took the words out of my mouth. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, so, so here it looks like. Um, so, what, so what was? What, oh, it's right here. Um, each one gram increase in potassium was associated with a two point four drop in systolic br- blood pressure. Yes, that, and that was for women. That was for women. And if you could see the graph of this, it doesn't sound that amazing verbally, <laughs> but well, there are some amazing charts. Um, well, but put that, before you do that, put that in perspective first, right? Yes. One gram of potassium is not a lot, and two two point drop in in systolic could actually be significant for somebody. Absolutely. If somebody's always me. hanging at that one thirty, now they're down in the one twenties. I mean, that's 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 a drop of cardiovascular risk. And then most food sources supplementations, you're doing more. I mean, in in a day, how much potassium do most people get? Do we know? Well, the goal for women is about twenty six hundred milligrams. So so so. Well, here's here's two, the problem, Doctor Mike. Though two grams. Two grams, three grams, over three grams for men. Thirty four hundred milligrams. Now that is the the recommendation, but. 
We also know that potassium is one of those nutrients recently identified as a nutrient of concern because Americans aren't so, getting enough. Yeah, so those numbers could change. Yeah. So, so imagine, you know, a, a woman with three grams of potassium from, from a variety of sources. Now you're looking at a, a, a decent uh, a drop. Now, there's other variables there. That, mm-hmm. That's why the, this needs to be teased out more in a more clear study. I think so. And that's yeah. the point that you were making. The, the researchers found in men no association was observed <laughs> between potassium intake and systolic blood pressure. Yeah. Whereas in women, the association was highly significant i don't know know. Uh, but this is the tricky part it's benefiting men in some way because both men and women that that consumed the highest amounts of potassium had a lower risk of cardiovascular disease events just overall right so it's doing something now whether it's blood pressure endothelial health who knows it's it's helping in in some way. So the takeaway yeah. message is one, we know that potassium is a nutrient of concern, nutrient of public health concern. And that is according to, you know, information from the dietary guidelines of Americans. So we're not getting enough. You need to try to make sure you focus in on yeah. potassium. That's your top foods. Prunes. Woo. You can get a double love, double whammy love, from prunes. I don't know. I love prunes. Blood pressure. Love them. And you can have a good bowel movement. I love I love a good bowel movement. <laughs> Lima beans is, is your next oh, one. I'm not, oh, a, never another been a, double whammy there. Just no, the fiber never, from the lima. Oh, no, I love been. lima beans. I, the only way I can eat lima beans is a ton of butter. <laughs> they are so good. So so here's here's my takeaway. Okay. Man or woman, mm-hmm. white, black, brown, blue, doesn't matter. We need more potassium. Yes. Done. If you want to live forever. So let's move on to number three. Um, hot topic. Ooh. Well, it's not, it's not. I don't actually think it's that much of a hot topic. It's just a certain guideline change, and it made it a hot topic. And that's prostate cancer screening, mainly the PSA test. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in men. So, so, so what I understand. Mm-hmm. I don't know what year was it that it changed. Two thousand and twelve, well, initially like two thousand eight. So two thousand and eight, there was a there was a, a change in in how when when men should start getting PSA and when it can stop. Right. So the uh, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force they make these overarching recommendations. They recommend it against PSA screening for men older than seventy five years. In 2012, that that you mentioned, mm-hmm. that was when they recommended against PSA screening among men any, of any, any, any age, age, and which, that's that's where the controversy. That's came bizarre in. to me. I can I I can understand the the first 2008 guideline um, a little bit. Now I don't know if if new research would change my mind in this, and the reason I say that is most prostate cancers are very slow growing. Mm-hmm. So if you are over 75 and let's say you hit 75, you've had PSAs, everything looks fine. And then you, you start to develop the cancer at 76 and you're not checking anymore. By the time that cancer is going to do anything bad to you, you've already had your heart attack. Very true. That, so that, that is so a true So I, I was okay with that guideline change. The 2012... Oh, that was just stupid. Well, I know, Dr. Mike. It's Thank you. And and I can remember our sponsor, Life Extension, uh, wrote up uh, uh, articles about this when the first guideline yeah. uh, and <laughs> the uh, our uh, the Life Extension owner, Bill Falloon, called it. 
the the U.S. death task force or something <laughs> like that. It's like it was a death sentence, yeah, yeah. and we were vindicated yeah. because in 2013 we started seeing metastatic prostate cancer yeah. rates increasing. Meaning, you would we missed. A bunch of prostate bunch of, cancer. Yeah, and now and now we're catching it at a metastatic stage. Yes. Yeah. So, so now more so men that, are dying. The fact that you're catching it at a metastatic sh- stage is proof that we should be screening all the time, basically. Right. Yeah, and I guess and one other thing, so if I back up and maybe correct myself a little bit, so even over the seventy five, now if you're if you were living like most Americans, what I said before I think holds true. But if you're someone who wants to live forever ish, mm-hmm. Even in your 70s and 80s, I mean, you're looking for 90s. I mean, we should probably continue to check PSA. Right. And this one hit home because my dad uh, had prostate cancer and a doctor kind of gave him the options of just waiting it out. And this is, you know, with PSA. And he was like, no. It's true. I'm, look, my my family longevity runs in my family, but they're we're reaching hundred years of age. Yeah. let's let's go for it. Yeah, that's great. Yes, that's great. And he's okay. Yeah. So okay. So end of the day, we need we need PSA checks again, right? Yes. Please, if you're a guy, um, you know, for me when I was a clinician, I always did it a little bit earlier, late thirties, early forties is yeah. when I at least what I, I yeah I know I remember what I used to do. Um, at forty, I would get a baseline of all my male patients. Mm-hmm. And then I would start testing on a yearly basis about 45. Oh, oh okay. So yeah. I was a little under. Most, most doctors waited to 50. Right. To well, do the uh, life extension suggests 40. 40. Yeah, yep. that was my baseline. That's yearly when I got baseline. Yearly starting at 40. Okay. All right. So let's just do it yearly at 40. Yeah. Let's keep it simple, right? Why not? It's yeah. not an expensive test. All right. Moving on. So that, okay, that's three ins. This is even a live foreverish, right? In number one, protein, coffee, and tea. Great for reducing hip fracture. You don't want to fracture a hip. It, is, it ain't good. Uh, number two, potassium. More of it for better cardiovascular health at the end of the day. Number three is all about prostate cancer screening of men. Do it. It's it's simple. Yeah. It's like a CBC. Right. You know, stuff like that should just be added to those things. I think so. But you, the point is, ask your doctor for it because yeah. he may not proactively, he or she may not proactively add it to your labs. All right, so what's our out? Now, this is what you don't want if you want to live forever-ish. I'm a little depressed with this one. Well, you have to just soak it in. Robson over there didn't like this one either. Process it and then act accordingly. (laughs) Alcohol. Now, I'm going to say something right off the bat. Just wait. Okay. Excessive alcohol, absolutely. That's silly. It's a poison. I still go by that, you know, a couple drinks for a guy- one for a woman every day can be healthy. Am I wrong? Is that is that is that now been shown to be not That's right? That's been shown to be not right. Ah. <laughs> Sorry. To burst your bubble. Now that's not what what we're pre, you know talking about today. Um but so that's kind of a, a different Okay, story. why why are we talking about alcohol today? Um well, the research is showing that alcohol excessive alcohol consumption is attributable to a lot of deaths among individuals. So you have to sort of take a step back and say, hey, what? how much am I drinking? Is it worth it? Yeah. Um, because a lot of people are dying. Yeah. I, it, okay, so when you look at the stats, I want to get downright to these stats. Here it says, um, 
regardless of the age group, whether it's 20 to 34 was one group they looked at, right? And then um, 35 to 49, right? Uh, And by the way, this is from the JAMA Network Open. Is that what that is? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's what's interesting. The very first thing that led to most deaths in these groups was other poisonings. So I guess what that means is they get people get a little buzz and then they go to other harder drugs. Is that what that means? Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Um, the the researchers didn't define that in the paper. I bet that's what that means. I would I would assume that it's it's a springboard. You know, your inhibitions are lower. You're hang, hanging out with people. Next yeah. thing you know, you're doing stuff you should. Well, shouldn't. it could be the alcohol, and then the next day you take the. It could be the acetaminophen. It could be the recovery and side now you of have it too. Liver. Yes failure that's true that's true too it doesn't just have to be the bad drugs right it could be a drug that is um promoted and used by american medicine like crazy right like we can't say the name but acetaminophen can't yeah. say the brand name right we get sued <laughs> <laughs> we can't we can't afford getting sued so we can't do that um so i just thought that was interesting both groups mm-hmm, right there mm-hmm. um then obviously in the younger group makes sense mo- uh, you know car accidents right that's sad it's horrible mm-hmm. um please don't drink and drive um because in the in the older group the next thing is the liver disease right yeah, alcoholic liver disease yeah and so when they were looking at the causes of death related to alcohol what we're looking at here are the direct alcohol related now you have the indirect effects that they also included in this overall number and these are kind of like the the cancer the associations between alcohol I, and chronic disease yeah i think i think so that's a good i think in the in these groups like even that 35 to 49 group that's still kind of a young group i think the alcoholic liver disease there might be more of an acute setting they do they overdo it they get alcohol poisoning that's exactly what they that go is. into acute liver disease mm-hmm. and that that unf- that can kill you right? right but i think once you get into the high into the older 50s and 60s mm-hmm. it moves more towards chronic exactly yeah. so and when you look at how they evaluated it the the acute that you mentioned is related to the blood alcohol levels so the the acute causes of death like the motor vehicle crashes the the homicide they were looking at individuals who may have had three or four drinks and went went out driving. Yeah, yeah. So that was the acute. And then the chronic goes back to what you talked about, Dr. Mike. How many drinks on average are you consuming on a regular basis? That was a medium of a greater than one yeah. alcoholic drinks for women. <laughs> just greater than two to less than or equal to four drinks for okay. men. Oh, four. And then so that That's was good moderate. News, Robson. That was moderate alcohol consumption. High consumption is more than two for for women and more than four for men. Yeah. Per day. I'm going to tell you right now. That's high. I'm going to tell you right now, based on those stats, the average American is in the high group. And that's why this study makes such a big difference because individuals in the high group, I mean, this is translating to an estimated one in eight deaths. Per year, yeah. in ages of 20 to 64, attributable to excessive 
alcohol in the younger ages, one in five deaths. Yeah, yeah. And so, and again, we agree that in that in the older 50s, 60s, even 70s, we're looking more at like chronic uh, pancreas disease. We're looking at yeah. uh, more of the bowel issues mm-hmm. that, that can get you, the chronic liver, it's more that stuff. Yeah. Right, so the, the takeaway message here, Dr. Mike, is may not necessarily be to avoid it completely, but think about your pores, your yeah. your wine pours at home uh, in the in the evenings. You're well, probably going over. Well, remember, you remember the moderate. So, so <laughs> I remember we went to a wine tasting once. Remember this? Yes. And um, we we got poured a normal five ounce glass, and Crystal looked at it and said, "That's it." <laughs> I know. Well, when you pour at home, oh, it's much more. It's much, much more. Much, yeah. yeah. And, um, and if you're doing hard liquor, most guys are doing more than one shot. Well, you know, what, and, what I suggest, it's maybe over the top, those of you who are listening, but it matters. Pull out your measuring cup for your alcohol, <laughs> for your wine. The problem is now, that, will, that works for about two glasses. Well, because then you're be, like, woohoo! And then no, you know. <laughs> that's the thing. And if you can't stop at at the two gla- if two glasses now you can't control your pour, then you probably should just not do it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Understood. So that's your out for living forever ish. Alcohol, just you know what people do it. People drink, and that's fine. I enjoy. You know me. I enjoy my light beers swimming in the pool. <laughs> Um, is that a statistic dying while you're sw- swimming? In a pool? That wasn't on there. No. So <laughs> I think I sh- you're maybe okay. I need to put some floaties you on. You better put your life jacket on <laughs> in, the life in the pool. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for uh, listening today. Don't forget, you go to liveforeverish.com where you can download and listen to so many other podcasts. When you do, like, share, comment, and subscribe so you never miss a show. As a matter of fact, we call it the one-two punch. LiveForeverish.com, one-two punch. You give your email to join the Life uh, the Live Foreverish family, and then you can subscribe to whatever place you like to listen to your podcast. Yeah. One-two punch, LiveForeverish.com. I'm Dr. Mike. Thanks for listening.